Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. Keith Moore is one of the most progressive marketeers in the industry. He is also one of the most thought-provoking. In this Reset the Podcast, the former Chief Marketing Officer of Santander and now CMO at Camelot talks about why knowing yourself is the key to being a great leader. During our time together, he also talks about why purpose matters and what purpose means to him. Keith is known for his honesty, his directness and his ability to provoke and all these qualities are on show as he talks about his own process of resetting for the second half of his life. Oh, and make sure you listen to the very end to hear an outtake from our podcast where Keith reads his new personal leadership mission statement. You'll love it. Hi, Keith. How are you today? I'm good, thanks, Suki. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. Yes. Yeah, so, on a scale of one to ten, how energised do you feel? Um, I would say seven out of ten today. Okay. Why would it be a seven? Um, well, I think it's the, fir- the first part of the week. I think is always slightly more draining than the later part of the week. I think it's partly being in a retail business. I think it's partly. I don't know, actually. It's really weird. I've I've noticed a trend where I tend to be most tired, weirdly, on a Monday, even though I don't really drink, um, particularly during the the whole lockdown thing. I'm not a one for drinking at home, so I've not really been doing any of that. So it's not like a draining weekend thing. So I don't know. But it's the the energy tends to pick up as the week goes on. That's really interesting, that, isn't it? I usually start off the week um, the other way around, actually. I'm a kind of, uh, I'm I'm an early in the week person. And by the end, I sometimes feel a bit tired. So that's really interesting. Um, Thank you. It's lovely to talk to you today, Keith. We were just discussing before we started this that we've known each other a long time. But actually, we don't really know how we met. Um, It was certainly through Oyster Catchers in some way, shape or form. But um, you seem to have been omnipresent, um, certainly in the industry for a long time. You were 25 years in what was Santander, but also the, the kind of merger before that. Um, and I wanted to really talk about three things today, about culture and your passion for creating amazing cultures, around well-being and your focus on that, because it's a really critical part of what makes you you. Um, and then a little bit about the big reset that you've done in the last uh, you know, kind of year or so. Um, but let's start with, start with culture. So, you know, I was looking at this great description of Santander, that Santander was the white knight of the banking industry. 
Um, and I wonder whether you were are the white knight of the CMO in the banking industry, because I think for me, you were definitely one of the people in that very tough environment that talked about culture and the importance of your people way before so many others were. Talk to me about that kind of journey for you. Well, first of all, it's very kind of you to say, Suki. It sounds a bit grand, that. I won't claim that for myself. But um, I think, but I can, actually, I can actually date it right back to, to a time when, I do remember a time when I started getting more interested in culture. I, I, I'd like you, obviously, I'm, I'm racking my brains about that thing about when we met. It's got me really fascinated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back on that if it comes to me. <laughs> but it, it actually um, started off really with my own curiosity around, this idea of there must be more to life than working and playing hard. There had to be something that sustained you as an individual, mentally and physically and emotionally. And as I found out then spiritually, although that is, by the way, very clearly not in a religious sense, may I say. Mm. It's, it's just this idea of a full, complete understanding of the self. And it was a work I, work I did with a, with a company called The Energy Project back in the day, actually. And... Um, a guy called Jean Gomes. And it was really about, it's the first exposure I'd ever had to this complete self concept. And I really liked it. It really resonated with me. And it's something which I'd been searching for because in a culture like Santander, and Abbey National before it, banking generally, but Santander particularly, because it's it's a very powerful culture. You either love it or you hate it. Mm. There was a need to recognise that people need something else other than that all-pervasive culture to, to kind of survive as a unit. They need to find their reason for being and their their own safe cultural environment to, to kind of exist and grow it. And so it was this idea of trying to explore what that was so that the team itself could develop its own culture. And that meant that it could feel like it had a... I don't know if anybody will remember the old ready brick ads but you have those little red the little orange glow around you mm. when you're going into work you've got this little orange glow of culture which allows you to, to have a little barrier not a full physical barrier but a little bit of protection against the big corporate machine that was going to try and grind you down <laughs> I absolutely love that that's brilliant um so that little orange glow what what did you do to try and help your team create that orange glow around them well in, in my early incarnations of trying to make this work and I'll, I'll perhaps if we've got time i'll talk a bit more about how that evolved in over the course of time mm. but to start off with it was about individuals going on their own journey and actually i i then um i guess it was 2014 2013 14 time went on the marketing academy fellowship and that helped us very much explore the idea of self. I also did the Oxford University Strategic Leadership Program, which is really a program about learning about yourself. Not like, it was this I it was when I first really and I got this fully rounded like 360 view of knowing yourself is the key to being a really good leader and to help create culture. So then so what that meant was I was trying to help people understand who themselves and who they were. Not me telling them, but encouraging them to go on this journey of understanding what their purpose was. Mm. understanding why they what made them happy what didn't make them happy understanding that things that don't make you happy are still part of your daily life and you have to embrace them 
not everything is perfect. And um, I guess it was early kind of rudimentary attempts to do this, to start off with, like layman's attempts to do this kind of activity at a time, like you say, when not a lot of people were doing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what did it look like for you when you, first of all, did you find it hard looking at yourself and think, actually, I'm going to have to understand myself before I can do this for my team? How did you feel about doing that? Well, I I would say to start off with, it was impossible. I found it an impenetrable task, a subject and task. I couldn't work out where you were supposed to start and what the end looked like and what was, because bear in mind, in a corporate culture, you're sort of designed to identify a task, go at the goal, complete it with success, overachieve it, and then move on to the next one. And this kind of thing was a bit more amorphous. You had to feel it rather than, experience you know and you have to experience it rather than physically go right I had this thing and now I've got I didn't have this thing and now I've got this thing so it's like I've written something down on a bit of paper and that's fine and that's that sort of completely defeats the object because actually what you've got to do is um kind of lie back free your mind and you don't have to meditate you can be mindful you can not be mindful you could be exercising you could be doing anything really but you need some way of opening your mind up to this idea. I mean, you know, the, the, the Japanese massively encompassed this concept with this thing called Ikigai, didn't they? Which is this, yes. this sense of, well, by the way, I discovered this much, much later. Somebody had told me this right at the start. It would have been really easy to understand what they're talking about because these people have been, been doing it for centuries and centuries. Yes. But we'd never really embraced it in Western culture in the same way. And so all these journeys that you go on looking at religion or looking at philosophy and culture, it's not really about following a particular mantra. It's about picking the bits out that work for you. And this, the Ikigai stuff was the best way I could find to describe what I was trying to say to people. And it made it a lot easier if I said people have been doing it for centuries and it's a proven concept because then people gives you a reason to be listened to. Right. Yeah. But but as I say, this, this journey of self, I think I, I always had a purpose when I was younger. I had a purpose when I was 19. that I wanted to be a marketing director of a FTSE 100 by the time I was 35. I wrote it down when I was at uni. You were 19? Really? Yeah, yeah. I've still got the bit of paper that it was on. Um, it's a, but it was a very one-dimensional work-related goal. So I wouldn't call it a purpose. I'd call it actually, looking back, it was a goal. Yeah. And it drove a lot of personal decisions I made. It made me very single-minded, slightly selfish. But I, you know, I achieved, I was actually a couple of years after that, but I, I achieved the goal. The trouble was, and I discovered this when I did the fellowship, the marketing academy, I couldn't think of what my next, yeah. next <laughs> thing was. Yeah. And I'd never really, that's because I'd never really explored purpose and understood myself. Mm. So that's the journey I tried to take people on. Yeah. Yeah. So just just pushing a little bit more on you and then we'll go out to maybe the, the team a bit more. So what... What qualities did you love about yourself? So I, I embraced my honesty and my directness and my transparency and my um, desire to provoke, to provocate. Yeah. And I think before I was kind of conscious of, I would, go, I would often describe myself as an outsider, but I wasn't actually. I was a provocateur. I wasn't an outsider at all. I was just 
trying to take a different view. I was trying to push uh, push for a different way of looking at something. Um, and I became to, I, I became aware of the fact that the leaders that gave me the jobs that they gave me wanted that in the team. They needed the balance. Because so, it's when leadership, the people in senior leadership jobs had, had recognised this need to start not having identical team members. You know, that kind of 70s and to some extent 80, early 80s view of management as, the, as people went through into the, into the noughties and into, passed into the new century. They definitely, um, I think people recognise the need for, I wouldn't go as far as, it's not a neuro, neurodiversity debate, that's something completely different. This is just having different types of people around you yeah. and, the, and the value of having that rather than lots of people who do things like you do. And yeah. that, that paved a way for people like me. Yeah, and that's what yeah. Santander did, actually, to be honest. It was, and that allowed me to embrace energy, passion, transparency, directness, openness, truthfulness. This, this concept, I mean, one of the things that is very central to me is a concept of fairness. And I think one of the things that used to drive me, I used to get quite annoyed a lot of the time. And when I explored it a lot with help, they, I discovered it was because I was seeing what I believed would be displays of unfair behavior, actions yeah. or uh, good results coming from the wrong unfair type of inputs. And so once I understood that, I could learn how to work with that and, and, and control it and understand how to channel the energy that came as a result of it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Did you get, where, where did that sense of unfairness or fairness come from? Did it come from when you were a child or did it come from uh, something that happened when you were in work? I, I actually think it was, it's an inherent trait I've had, if I look back. I think, I don't, it's really hard to teach people about fairness, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. it's a relative concept, right? Yeah. It's very subjective. And it's also culturally really different on different I mean the beauty of working at Santander was I, exp I was fully immersed in Spanish culture I had 15 years of massive immersion daily immersion into a different culture and it's brilliant I love Spanish culture and, and in the same way I love British culture right and but the combination of the two is a weird concoction and it's the same everywhere and what you understand is your concept of fairness isn't the same as everybody else's and and you have to kind of understand that that's okay because you can't impose your value set on people. It's not right. It's not fair. Actually, it's, a, yeah, it's the best way yeah. to put it. Yeah. Everything comes back to this point. And actually, I learned to understand that it became much easier for me to accept the swings and pendulums of life if I understood that fairness within me is driving a lot of my belief structure. And that concept of fairness has to be my concept and not everybody else's you let go of that and you go okay as long as I'm feeling it's like this it's like the the more modern interpretation of that from a, a kind of self-development point of view which is look after yourself first because that's the best way to make everybody else better yeah. that was another big thing that came to that, that I was taught that I was helped with this concept of taking care of yourself is the number one priority and there's absolutely nothing wrong with selfishness in that concept yes Yes. And, and self-care, it's such it's so fascinating, isn't it, that we mm. so many people, particularly leaders, find that self-care piece very, very hard because our automatic reaction is to try and either look after or control or, you know, just empower other people, but don't put the same scrutiny on ourselves. 
Um, you said that then, you know, that was the sort of the, the, the beginning of a, a cultural um, understanding and appreciation. It became more sophisticated over time. What kind of things did you learn to, to help and support your team with and doing? Well, I think the, 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 there's two main things. One is about helping the individual develop as themselves. So their understanding of the concept of self, the ikigai kind of concept. And then there's the, the, the need for teams to have goals and purposes so that they can, they, they can feel part of something that's growing and building. And this is something that I started at Santander. It was a program, actually. It was called, we called it Marketing 4.0. It was just a name. But what really it was about in Santander was about creating a, a group of people, a team of people who felt empowered for the digital age. And this was five, six years ago, a long time ago. And, and that really helped us identify how to develop as a group of people technically, um, how to develop as a group of people uh, from a knowledge-based point of view, where to point people to read things, how to choose what kind of training courses people were on, how to speak to our partners and um, about like media owners and things like that, where they could where they could help us with um, training and development. People like uh, Thinkbox do this. People yeah. like um, Newsworks do it. But also, I have to call them out because they were absolutely amazing. Google helped us a lot. We got a, a significant amount of training for our people from over three thousand hours training from Google for for wow. nothing, and that's because we chose to invest in Google because they because they it worked for us across a range of things from, you know, like media solutions through to analytics and stuff like that. But Google are very good at helping businesses' knowledge base grow because obviously it's good for them, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so that, that, that combination of technical structured skill and knowledge development with this exploration of self and understanding of the self is really, I guess, the the – the twin pronged approach to how I've, how I've tackled this and that kind of technical skill noise development is, is something that I kicked off, but it's something the team took hold of and owned and grew. They set their own purpose and direction. They set their own um, concept of work streams. In fact, there were pillars that we built um, OKRs around objectives and key results that we developed sprints around so that we could make rapid progress and iteration. So people could see progress quickly that works really well for that kind of team goal stuff because that's the me- that's the kind of methodology and the kind of rhythm people feel happy in because it feels like work. And then the, the 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 opposite approach is taken with the self, which is find time and we will give you time in work. So we will give you time in your weekly work, you know, your nine to five, Monday to Friday, to go and do stuff. We used to call it at Santander Explorer Time. Yes. And we'd encourage people to go out exploring. Yeah. And what that meant was people would go to shopping centers to look at retail solutions. People would go and spend some time in libraries. People would go to museums, go on a boat down the river. What, whatever the thing is, go and ride like I do. I ride a bike. Yeah, It helps me free my mind. And so this idea of not doing something is actually doing something. And that's the difficult bit for people to get their heads around. It takes a long time for people to, by the way, lots of people don't really ever fully get it. That's fine. Yeah. It's part of their journey. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And so, you know, from that, I guess, you know, and, and I love the fact that you talk about, you know, what we talk about is performance and, and well-being. So that's kind of understanding of self, but very closely linked to performance and brilliant focus on how you can be 
expert. Um, so in terms of the purpose piece, so you had a, a purpose for your team at Santander and a purpose for individuals and a purpose for yourself. What is that purpose that you have for yourself? Um, actually, it's, it's very straightforward. It's, to, it's living a healthy life and enjoying every day. That's the, that's, that is it. It's active. It evolves. It moves with me as I get older. And it is not related to my job, but it is related to my job. Because to live a healthy life and enjoy every day, I have to enjoy my job. Yeah. Otherwise, I can't deliver on that. And it was actually, I have to be honest, Suki, it was actually moving to Camelot that helped me open up my mind to that purpose because it wasn't that, I didn't have that at the time. I was still swimming in the sea of uncertainty. You know, in, in the, I hadn't got my fully rounded concept of self as I'd hit my middle ages. You know, I'm 52 now. It's around 50 I had. I think I had my, 40, my 40th moment when I was 50. You know, ah, okay. some people have these epiphanal moments when they're yeah. 40. I think mine was when I was 50, actually. That's when I decided to leave Santander and and try something different because I felt I was I used to went I went, I went to a phase of describing my time at Santander as I was on a I was on a smooth trajectory to a landing like a seven four seven on a long haul flight yeah. and my wife called me out one day and said you're only fifty Keith don't you think it's a bit early to be talking about a smooth landing meaning retirement <laughs> yeah. and I was like God she's right so I had to shake it up a bit you know and. Yeah, and, then well, came along and, and that's yeah. hard, isn't it? You know, so, you know, this this podcast is called Reset. Um, resetting you know, at 50 um, and you had been in the business for a long time and clearly, you know, you loved it. You were very, very well respected. What, what went through? You know, why, why did you feel this need to go further to kind of understand yourself some more and then also shake up the environment you were in? Um, because I... I, I took some time to wreck because I've been on this journey of understanding myself and getting a fully rounded view of myself, which is by the way, an evolving journey, right? Mm, sure. I'd, I'd come to recognize that I'd got frustrated in life, not at work. Work was going really well. I, I, and you're right. I love something there. I still do. I love my time there. The, pe the people were great. The culture was great, but different. You know, I wouldn't, it's very hard culture, but I like that. Um, but I think I just, without realising, slipped into a bit more, well, I hadn't challenged myself enough. I don't want to say cruise control because the job was too tough for that. Yeah. Belittles the job that I did and people now do and the team that worked on it. It's the wrong phrase and I've never found a way to describe it properly. But I guess what I mean is I, I felt that I should try something different because I was at a point in life where I needed to change myself. It wasn't Santander. It wasn't the job I was doing. It was me. I needed to change myself. Yeah, maybe it's more a bit like you have too much muscle memory. You know, if, if you only cycle, you can be super fit, you can love it, but you don't actually challenge your body to run or to dive or to swim. And therefore, it's quite difficult to feel more than you are yourself at the time. I think you're exactly right. I think like somebody like me was very focused on staying physically fit. And I hadn't worked out how to be emotionally fit. I mean, you're right. Even though, even though I've been advocating this journey and exploration that people went on, I spiritually felt right. And I mentally felt very well because I took care of my mind. And I, I physically felt well, felt well. But emotionally, I, I wasn't because I'd got a one-dimensional view. And actually, when I left Santander, I, was, I got a reaction from my body and my 
my spirit and my my whole self that I was not expecting. It was like a bereavement. So I had a like a I think a three month kind of window between the two jobs, and I was going to expecting to use it as great downtime, but actually I felt pretty grim. Not physically, just emotionally, I felt weird. And my wife said, "Well, you just suffered a loss." Yeah. And as usual, she's a a font of a lot of wisdom, really, in my life. And she said, yeah, you just suffered a loss. You've got to embrace it. You've got to accept that's what's happened and recognise it like a loss because then you can move on to the new thing. That's so interesting. I remember talking to you at the time. Um, What did you do to embrace it? Did it it make you feel frustrated? Because, you you know, you had all these plans of things to do in those three months, but you had to maybe take a step back and... Yeah, I think it did make me frustrated, actually. But the, 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 the pervading thing was I was feeling really sad, right? This is the weird thing. I felt really sad. And I wasn't expecting to. And so, therefore, it really hit me. And I was like, why am I feeling like this? I was very annoyed with myself. And, and once again, my wife said, you've got a few months off. You'll never have it again. It's the summer. It, you literally, it's from June to September. So it's like the best time in the UK. We're very fortunate to have a little house down by the beach in in Broadstairs in Kent. We were down there for the whole time. We had lots of things planned. She said, can't you just like enjoy it? <laughs> and, but it's a really di- difficult thing to say to people like, but she was right. I just needed to embrace the everyday thing. And on the purpose point that, that we talked about a minute ago, this idea of enjoying every day, that's when I got very present. Mm-hmm. And I had a great, I had a problem in my life about being present as an individual because of my tendency to want to try and develop and control outcomes because of that's yeah. because I'm a, a leader in a big job with responsibility for a lot of people. The tendency is to take that into your home life. And by the way, I shouldn't be doing that in my work life either. And I became a much better leader when I kind of worked much harder on being present and then enjoying every day. It was deliberately designed to be a very present focused purpose. Yes. Yes, which I which I really love. And so what did you do and what do you now do to be more present? Because, you know, I think it's something that a lot of people talk about. It's actually still quite hard to do. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, there's some very straightforward things. So I make sure I have space in a, in a day. And there's, there's some, some rules I set myself, you know. And they've, I have to be honest, the lockdown has allowed me the ability to develop these because you get a little bit more space if you choose to i know the the working day originally when lockdown first started was a bit nuts for everybody it was like when does when does that kind of zoom thing start and finish like seven till nine what is it you know but then you settle in and you realize you've got to create this space and when you do actually because you're not commuting or moving around or having to meet lots of people externally friends or work related you have you actually do have a bit more space than you think if you choose to actively recognize it. And that's, so that was it, creating some space to think, to be mindful. I mean, I, I don't meditate, but I, I use headspace. I, you know, practice mindfulness. Particularly breathing is something that works really well for me. I really, my body really likes breathing. It? breathing. Yeah. Well, it sounds stupid that, but you know, this kind of concept of, of managed breathing, mm. nothing too technical, just ordinary stuff. And then getting outside, getting outside every day. So I do walking meetings, if I haven't got any space in the day, if I've got space in the day, I'll walk without meetings, listen to music or listen to a podcast or sometimes nothing, listen to the 
if I'm if I'm in London, it's nice to have that on because it's just street noise often a lot yeah. of the time. But if I'm down by the coast, which I haven't been able to be for most of the last twelve months, it's listening to the sea, listening to the sounds of the the um, the power of the sea, which is you know very relaxing if you're walking by it for those fortunate enough to be able to do so. And then it's about doing activities that I enjoy and don't not doing activities that I don't. I think I was trying to do too much stuff. So I re-embraced reading. I mean, this all sounds so noddy, Suki, but it's like read, reading fiction really – I used to be an avid reader of fiction, then I guess for a decade I didn't really pick up a book, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. And so I've picked up books again, and it's not layering too many things in, just slowly bringing things back in. I'll you know, listen to Kerris Matthews on a Sunday morning on BBC Radio 6. That's a little treat to myself. And you recognise these things are things that make you happy, not things you should do. It's, mm. And you recognise why it makes you happy, because it calms me down, it slows my breathing down. Or with carers, you hear interesting things, so it stimulates your mind. You have interesting guests. You hear a bit of music that gets your hairs up on your arms, and you go, yes. Or the reverse, it has a soporific effect. So it's all those mm-hmm. simple, it's the simple things about recognising the literal beauty in every moment or every day, if you can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's lovely. I love the fact that you say, you know, it's a treat. So the things that are a treat, the things that make you feel alive, it feels to me like you have had that moment where you can just feel more alive, feel more in the present, you know, be able to enjoy all those important things. And I think quite a lot of us during lockdown have had that moment to pause and reflect on what really does mean something to us what is important and be able to enjoy I've never seen so many people walk around enjoying a cup of coffee as they walk along as they have perhaps in the last year because it's one of the few things we can do I guess I agree I think literally when we get the chance to spend time with people there won't necessarily need to be the big event around it anymore Mm. it can just be going over to somebody's house and sitting in the garden having a cuppa and chatting and actually seeing somebody yeah. physically. Yeah. It's quite a, that's, that, that, that alone makes the hairs on my arms stand up. And, I, we, and we can't even really give them a hug. I'm sure there'll be plenty of illicit hugs going on, being, being yeah. fair, but we shouldn't until the uh, 21st of June. But then imagine what it's going to be like just to hug people again, that simple thing. I'm really, it really honestly makes, makes the hairs on my, in my body stand up on end. It makes me full of emotion just thinking about it because We've forgotten how simple that little thing is. The Spanish culture taught me the value of touch, um, the recognition of the moment of it's okay to embrace a friend. You don't need to be formal. You can embrace somebody and say hi. Yeah. I love that uh, continental European cultural aspect of that. It's not inappropriate at all. We're talking about people you know who you want to display affection for for, to say hello because you haven't seen them for a while. And in business meetings, it can be very... It can really open a meeting up if when you meet somebody, you're giving them a hug beforehand because you know them and you've known them for 10 years. Yeah. Why, why would you give them a hug? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, you're absolutely right. And that is the lovely thing about the Spanish and, and some of the other Europeans, that, that real sense of openness. Talk to me about then the culture that you found at Camelot. So you know, you've been in lockdown for some of it, quite a lot of it, I guess. Um, have you found a very different culture? Have you found a culture you like more or less, or is it just different? Well, um, I'm having a fantastic time at Camelot. 
even though we're in lockdown, because the culture is amazing. And I'm really, really enjoying it, but I think it's right for me at this point in my life. It's very, it would be difficult for me to say, because I'd be very, being very subjective, Camelot's culture is better than Santander. What I will say is it's really, really, really different. And I'm not being political about that answer. The, the culture at uh, Santander served me really, really well. I loved it. I thrived in it. It was fantastic. But the culture I discovered at Camelot has allowed me to enjoy this phase of my life so much more. It's, it, the one, there's one little way I can characterise it by, in, in a big corporate culture like Santander, there are, there are politics. You have to accept there's politics. There's tens of thousands of people. It's a global business. You have to, to some extent, have eyes in the back of your head. You have, and what I mean by that is not because people are out to get you, but because you have to try and understand all of the complexities of all of the relationships all of the time. And the people who do that best navigate their way through a successful career in a big corporate. They understand, they can picture how the machine works. It's like the matrix. You can see it. You're like Keanu Reeves. You can see the matrix moving. You go to Camelot and the business is a much purer business because it has a more limited product line and is, is, is around for much much more of a single-minded purpose about generating returns for good causes. And by, by the it's, it's less than 1,000 people, right? So what, what it is is very different, and it doesn't have that need for you to – well, the biggest problem I had when I first joined is I, I kept thinking people – I was second-guessing why people were doing things, and actually people were just trying to help. And I thought, are they trying to get score some points for later? Are they trying to bank some favours? Um, and it wasn't. I kept looking over my shoulder and there was nobody there. And it was, it was, and that's what's beautiful about it because there is none of that. And I always, I sort of say to my people, it's a great culture to be in, um, but it's difficult. It would be a difficult one to leave for yes. that reason. Yes, I can. So see there's that. always two sides to a, yeah. to a, to a situation. So enjoy it. That's what yeah. I say to people. Enjoy it. Yeah. Recognize where it's good. I talk to the, to the people in my team and the business about where the differences exist. And there are some many positive differences and some not positive differences, but I would, I would call all the differences productive. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't, positive and negative is a bit probably the wrong phraseology. It would be that everything's productive, but some are harder to accept than others. Yeah, yeah. And, and how would your wife describe you now? Would she see a different Keith to the one that was at Santander? Very much so. I think my kids are always the best judge, actually. My kids are 15 and 13. And I, th- there was a phase when they were younger when I used to come in and I would be quite wired. You know, I'd ridden home through central London for a start as fast as I could, because that's what I did. I rode fast everywhere. <laughs> and I used to ride to work and back every day. And I would still be in... W- it, I wouldn't be thinking about work, but I'd still be in the same operating mode because I'd be cycling home really quick and really wired and I'd be shouting at drivers who were cutting me up and being a bit of a, of a hooligan on a bike, really, if I'm being honest. And I didn't, when I look back on it, by the way, I didn't enjoy any of those rides. I didn't, I didn't embrace enjoying the ride. I just, I needed to get from A to B really quick to prove I was getting fitter or stronger or whatever. I was trying to fit too much in there. So they would say, there would be um, they used to call phrases like "angry daddy" and "happy daddy," right? So they would they would draw distinctions between who I was, and they try and judge who I was when I came in. And I would say the biggest thing I would say now is there isn't that person, there isn't that delineation anymore. 
I've just I'm I'm always there ready for them. Yeah. Open. Not always happy, right? Because we can't always be happy. But I'm not this slightly schizophrenic. I don't want to use the word schizophrenic. I, that wasn't what it was. But I wasn't two two or three different personas, depending on the mood yeah. I was in. I wasn't ill or anything. But I don't want to you know kind of get anywhere near that. But it was more that I had modes and mindsets that I went into with triggers involved in them. And now I'm just much more open and relaxed. And my job is to make them as good as they can be. So I have to enable that environment. I can't do that for them, but I can enable the environment. I can make it feel safe. I can make it feel open. I can make it feel happy. That's that's what I regard as success now. Whereas before it was providing food on the table, holidays, let's do stuff, let's go out. It's, I was just, I got myself onto a really fast moving treadmill, I guess. Yes, but but that's so much what well you know I mean you look you were in financial services a long time that's that that's the kind of culture of many financial services companies of very many male leaders and female leaders too but you know you you were kind of living a stereotype in many ways of what is expected as a senior leader in a particular sector who's high achieving who's very fit you know you were doing all of those things um, and actually to to not be like that in many ways must be maybe not difficult more difficult for you as a person but definitely more difficult to be able to stand for that um when when that's not what we see from most leaders yeah it's interesting isn't it i think i think society is evolving to allow people to be more like that if i'm being honest um the very fact there's a podcast about this subject yeah. and we're having a discussion and and there are businesses that provide help in this space now there never could have been 10 years ago um even the training i went on with jean and, and the energy project was still very much about performance yeah you know it was still it still had that very we will deliver extreme um, improvements in import, performance kind of mentality but that's evolved now so you're right yeah it's um i still don't think it's there's a long long way to go right and diversity is helping because we're getting people with different mindsets, different backgrounds, and that should be recognised. I think, um, I'm going to say something slightly controversial here, but it comes from my experience of banking. I think the um, female leader can be more like herself now than she could be 10, certainly 20 years ago, and particularly when I look at banking, where it was very, the, the, it, was, it was a tough environment for women to survive. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. and thrive. And I saw some very powerful, successful women and a bow team. Susan Allen recently has just got an OBE. And Susan and Anna are very different creatures. Anna's much more experienced and, and older. She's had to come up a tough way through sp- Spanish yeah. culture as well, in terms of the male-female view. And Susan's been able to evolve uh, and be much more herself and not have to behave with those kind of some of those masculine traits so she's herself much more i mean anna's very much herself but she's developed she's a very very powerful individual as a as a entity because she's had to develop many layers of yeah yeah kind of well, protection but but i think that's what we now know that can be much more effective can't we cultures where men and women and and everyone can be themselves in a much more effective way so that you know that sort of ready bright glow um is yeah. something that everyone can experience not just those selected few 
Um, and you know, you can you can have that real balance, can't you? Um, so I know you know well-being is very important for you. You do a lot of exercise. You've clearly done a lot of um, you know help on yourself, uh, time with yourself. How much of your time now do you think about your own well-being and your own kind of you know the importance to keep focused on that versus the performance that you've got at work? Um, I would say I would devote at least an hour a day to my own well-being. Some days it's more. Sometimes you have periods of time when you do it. And you have blocks of time. You may go try some different things. But but it's also recognizing what what well-being is. It's not like I sit down here and or I go and sit in a weird blue room and think about my well-being. But every moment that I get where I'm experiencing enjoyment is partly benefiting my well-being. So that's things like eating really nice food, um, spending time walking. The sun's literally just come out here. That's I'm going to go out lunchtime after I have my lunch for ten, even if it's ten minutes. Breathe in some air. Just those things are all those moments. So I don't know how much they add up to over a day. Reading a book, write, writing a gratitude list, I mean, whatever you know. The thing is, all those moments are times when you reflect and enjoy things and, and think about yourself. So that's what I do. Yeah, which is which is just um, fantastic and brilliant to talk about it because I think you know it's always good, which is the point of this podcast, for people to hear and be inspired by leaders where increasingly it's part of the way that they are. Not as you say, it's not the this is the well-being moment, and you know there are one thousand one hundred forty minutes in the day, and you know you can kind of go well, I'm going to take sixty minutes to make sure I get some exercise. But actually, as you say, to really be able to do both, to think about your own well-being, it's, it's micro moments throughout the whole day that add up to being a better leader, a better dad, a better husband, a better friend, a better man. Um, Keith, I wanted to finish on this quote by uh, Henry David Thoreau, who says, most people lead lives of quiet desperation and go to their graves with their song still in them. Now, you know, of course, we've talked a lot about purpose um, and you're very clear now about what your purpose is about. So there's, there's certainly, um, you know, your song is out there as a person, but I know that music is really important to you. Um, if you had to choose a song that maybe means something to you, that sums you up, that sums up your, your purpose, your song, what would it be? Um, yeah, there's, a, there's an artist called Nick Cave, uh, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Uh, who is my favourite artist, and the, the song is Into My Arms. Oh, how lovely. Tell me why. Um, because uh, I, I've been to see Nick Cave, I don't know, 20 plus times over the years, and it was at one of his gigs when he was singing this song, I was looking at my then partner and thinking, wouldn't it be amazing if we had kids? and had a family and spent our lives together. I just had a bit of a moment in, it was in Hammersmith Apollo. It's not called Hammersmith Apollo anymore, I can't remember what it's called now. Um, it's been sold to a corporate, but Hammersmith Apollo. And as I called it back then, it was on a Friday night and it stayed with me ever since. And it's sort of gone with me on the journey of having children and life changing and relationships evolving. And situations like this pandemic and the crisis that we've had with that and what will come out of the next side. And it will stay with me forever for that reason. 
Yeah, that's a lovely, lovely song. Amazing and lovely way to end. Thank you, Keith. Look, I, I the orange glow of the ready break around around you, which I've so often seen. I've loved talking to you about how you've gone even further in your personal journey and how you've enabled to take that to lead new teams at Camelot, but take us through the journey that you have at Santander. I think also just to to be uh, very open, very honest about yourself. It's it's lovely to hear. Thank you very much for sharing your journey. And um, I can't wait to see you again and have a hug. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it too. It's been an absolute pleasure, Suki. Thank you very much for I believe that leaders are better when they think deeply about work, about its meaning in their lives, that simply hitting goals or targets on time and on budget is not enough. Work should be a positive influence on everyone in the business, inside and outside of work, that people work best when they feel safe and are ready to stretch themselves to see how good they can be, that how we choose to respond to events is the last of the human freedoms, and this applies to leaders twice as much, that a clear and ambitious purpose and the conscious development of a culture to support that purpose is the responsibility of leadership if we are to get high performance and great results. That high performance is often uncomfortable, so leaders need to manage that discomfort for themselves and others, not seek to remove it. Leaders need to face into difficult issues and run towards them, however uncomfortable that might be. Business should not make people ill. It should be a force for good. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.